got two Bible readings now, and I think Richard's going to come and read for us. Well, I hope it's Richard. So the first reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As every part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And the second reading is from Matthew, chapter 28, verse 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth Has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. He's ready for a sermon. Were you a bit worried? <laughs> I did. I did try to. Um, I did try to ring. Sorry, um, something cropped up between the services that meant that I just had to um, be somewhere else, basically. Shall we just pray? Lord, may my mouth speak wisdom and the meditation of my heart bring understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So can I begin first of all by, by saying thank you. Um, thank you for all the conversations that I've had this, this past week and in particular on as we left last Sunday morning from the ambassador, last Sunday afternoon from the ambassador. Some of us I think we felt like we left last Sunday evening from the, from, from the ambassador. Thank you for all those comments that showed how much you, you valued it. And thank you for all of those cards that kind of have been delivered to the rectory in one form or another, or the emails that I've received this week. I even got a poem about the, the church weekend, just about how much it, it impacted you. Um, thank you to all of you. I didn't get a chance to say this last, last Sunday morning, who managed to come along, because it's not easy to commit a whole weekend like that amidst the various pressures that we have. So, so on behalf of me, can I say... Can I say thank you? Last weekend, if you weren't there, something, something special happened for us as a church, I think, in, even if it wasn't St. Clement's. You know, it's a lot warmer there, isn't it? I don't often get to St. Clement's, but last week, something special happened to us. You know, when we commit to God, we come away blessed. When we commit to God, we, we come away blessed. And some of us couldn't be there, and if we, and if we couldn't, I'm, I'm sorry that you... You missed it. And I was reflecting upon it this, this past week that it wasn't so much a foretaste of heaven, but a reality of the kingdom of God now. Of who we can be as a, as a church. And so this Sunday, we move on. This Sunday, if you don't know, it's the New Year's Eve in the church calendar. It's the, it's the last Sunday of the year. It used to be called Stir Up Sunday. Anyone remember when it was called Stir Up Sunday? You have to be of a certain, perhaps, age to understand that. Forgive me for saying that. But it was the day, wasn't it? When you made your Christmas puddings, you stirred them up, and today was the reminder, or so the church thought, and of course now we all go and buy them from a supermarket, don't we? Anyone, anyone still buy their still make their Christmas pudding? There we go. Martin still makes his Christmas pudding and Jane, a few of us. There we go. Well, today's... Have you made them yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, some of you have, some of you haven't. Well, today was Stir Up Sunday. In more recent years, it's called this. It's called the Festival of of Christ the King. And so what I want to, to do this morning is, if you like, as we not so much look back over the church year, but look into a new year, perhaps is to stir us up a little. To think about what that new reality, some of which we experienced last week, could be like for us as a church as we, as we move on, as we commit to make Jesus king of our lives. And so for some of us this morning, it might be a bit of a time where it's a reminder where we re- relearn maybe what we've forgotten, which is often the best way to learn. For some of us, it may be a bit of a recorrection for us, maybe to make right an erroneous way. For some of us, it may be something completely new. It was Max Dupre. If you don't know who Max Dupre was, he was a very famous offish furniture manufacturer and supplier in the United States of America. I quoted him at eight o'clock and to my delight, somebody came up to me afterwards saying, I've read one of his books. So there we go. If you don't know who Max Dupre is, he said this, the first reality of a leader is to define reality. The first 
responsibility of a leader is to define reality. And so I want us to look at our, our Bible text this morning. We're going to start in Matthew and look into Ephesians about what that reality should be for any and every church before we move to some of the specifics for ourselves as a church moving forward. So let's start in Matthew and let me ask you a question. When Jesus gives this very famous, if you like, command, what's known as the Great Commission, to his disciples, and he makes, gives this command on the mountain in Galilee. If we look in verses 19 and 20, we'll do a bit of work. How many tasks does he command them to do? Someone thinks five. Any advance or lower on five? Someone thinks three. Anyone think four? Oh, you've got the right answer. Basically. It's quite interesting, actually. I did that at eight o'clock and someone said five and then somebody said three. And it's four. Here's why. Jesus said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. To bear everything. And so my question is this. Go, make, baptize, teach. Here's my next question. It's a yes or no. Do we give equal weight to all four? Who thinks yes? Hand up if you think yes. Who thinks no? And about 95% of you don't know. <laughs> Only a lawyer would say that. No, you can't. <laughs> Play by God's rules, not the law court's rules. The answer is no. Here's why. Basically, as you know, um, I like to read the Greek of any passage before I kind of look at it in, in English. I just think it's, it's really important because the New Testament was, was written in Greek. And in Greek, some of you will be very good at English, far better at English than me, because when I got taught English, they never taught you grammar. You know, it was just that era where they just kind of said, oh, grammar isn't important. But here's how it works in Greek. In Greek, if you look at those four verbs, go, make, baptize, teach, three of them are participles, and one of them is a finite verb. The important thing for the finite verb in Greek is that it is the hinge of the sentence. If you like, it's the grammatical center of the sentence. It's also the theological center of the sentence. What that means is this, that all the participles, as important as they are, they only make sense in the light of what the finite verb is saying. So you know what the next question is going to be, isn't it? Don't you? Which is the finite verb? You've got a 25% chance of getting this right. Go, make, baptize, teach. Who thinks it's go? Put your hand up. Put your hands down. Who thinks it's make? Put your hand up. Who thinks it's baptize? Oops, I've destroyed this Bible. Who thinks it's teach? And 50% of you then perhaps don't know. You know, it often makes me wonder, sometimes as a church globally, why we have this identity crisis at times. Because nobody gets the right answer. 
apart from a few. Normally, the smallest number get the right answer. Don't they, Brian? (laughs) It's make. The key verse in verses 19 and 20 of the Great Commission is to make disciples. Therefore, the reality for any church, doesn't matter whatever church it is, whatever denomination, wherever it is, and every church is to make disciples. And all those other mission aspects that are important, of course, it's important to go. Because we can never make disciples if we don't go first. But the critical thing is we make disciples. Of course, it's important to baptize. Of course, it's important to teach. But fundamentally, it's about making disciples. It was, um, I think it was 56 years ago this week, wasn't it, that um, C.S. Lewis died? And I think he said it best in, in these words. The church exists for nothing else but to draw people into Christ. To make them little Christ's. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, sermons, missions, even the Bible itself is simply a a waste of time because that's why God became man. So the first thing to realize, every church is yes to go, yes to baptize, yes to teach, but ultimately it's all about making disciples. And when we look at that word disciple, It's the word in Greek, mathetus. It means someone who is a learner. But also it encapsulates in it something more than just a learner. It's someone who learns by following so closely behind someone. So the idea is if you can imagine kind of like a dusty kind of Palestine-Israeli Middle Eastern path. Very sandy. The idea behind it is that before the dust has hit the floor again from the rabbi's feet, it's hit their followers' feet first. That's the idea that it's trying to encapsulate here of what a disciple is. It doesn't matter about age, irrespective of our age, for all of us. It's about remaining close. Following, always learning from Jesus. And the best definition I've ever found about that, about what a disciple is, is this. It's becoming the person Jesus would become if he were us. That's what I think the best definition of discipleship that I've ever found is, is this. It's becoming the person Jesus would become if he were you. Last month, Bishop Trevor was, was over. With And he met with a number of the clergy and he was reflecting with us about his 17 years as a bishop and what's changed over that time. And so he talked about some of the, the key changes that he's found as to what he does as a bishop. It makes me realize that I'm glad I never ever decided that I wanted to become a priest to become a bishop. But he said this. He said, the one thing that hasn't changed is that the central task of the church is to make disciples. And for each of us, whoever we are, the only responsibility we have to do with that is on us. It's not our responsibility to make somebody else a disciple. It's our own responsibility to make ourselves a better disciple. So that we are growing. 
And kind of like where I get you this morning is kind of like 35% of that if you want to see what that looks like in a typical week. It's not enough just on a, on a Sunday morning. It's for each of us to be taking that forward every day of our lives. And when we look at this passage in Ephesians, what we see is that that's, that message is enforced. That the responsibility of every church is to make disciples. Most biblical commentators, when they read all of Paul's letters, all however many there are of them, will say that it's in Ephesians that we get Paul's best thinking on what the church is about. He speaks about it in more ways than in any other, and he kind of gives us this spiritual template of what the church should be like in all ages. And he gives us these pictures, a series of pictures and a series of words, if you like, to describe what it means to have grown up what it means to be a mature disciple. And then he talks about the process of how that discipleship takes place. And so when we look at the, the pictures and the words that we see, you'll see if you, can, you look at them, they're on the inside of your handout, that they are kind of like mainly positive. But there's a, there's a negative one thrown in as well. I, I found four. Maybe one of the things we can do when we go home is maybe think, right, can I find more than four? But these are the four that that I found. So they're involved in the ministry life of the church. In other words, they're involved serving in the church, equipping, building up the church. I see that in verses 12 and verse 16. They're showing in verses 13 and 15 this evidence, this evidence of somewhere in their life that they're becoming more like Christ. I see in in verse 14 that they're kind of not getting taken along or not getting deceived by schemers and tricksters. They're not bobbing from this thing and then that thing. There's much more of stability about them. And they're people of love in word and action. I see that in verses 15 and 16. I just found four from, from looking at it. Maybe you can find some more as well as to what that reality should look like for a mature disciple. And then he also speaks about the process of how a church makes disciples, how it becomes real. And he talks about these, these five-fold ministries that Jesus gave in church life. Now, what's interesting when I look at, these, look at these ministries, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, we often think of them, we think, oh, that's, the, that's kind of the responsibilities and the giftings that the leaders should have. But actually, if you, if you go home and you read the text, and particularly verse 7 and verse 11, it's actually those ministry gifts are given to every disciple of Jesus Christ. We often think of them as the upfront gifts and we often think, oh, that's what the leaders have. But actually, they're given to all. And what we also read is that no one has all five. That's why leadership in the church in the New Testament was always plural. It was never singular. And, you know, we see that, don't we? Because look at the words. I mean, it says some. Some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, some to be teachers. And I've 
put some of the references in your handout this morning that you can take away and look at because there are four main passages on spiritual gifts in the Bible and you've got the other ones there. They're in Romans 12, they're in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Peter 5. What you see is how often many of those gifts that are described in Romans 12 and so on, how they often sit within these five ministry areas. Now all I'm going to do this morning is just give you a a brief synopsis of each of those five five ministry areas. You can go away and you can you could do this yourself because you can work out where I've got these from by just reading the book of Acts in particular. You can find out some of these, the apostles. Apostles, first of all, the first qualification for an apostle then was that they were eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. They'd all seen him risen from the dead. They were, if you like, the sent ones or the envoys. They were the pioneering ones. They were the ones who planted churches in new cultures and new worlds. But what they also had was they had this guardianship role. They kind of oversaw the growth of of the church. And today, if you've got that apostolic gift, you still have that area of being sent. This idea of being missional, that the church looks outward. And you'll also have this area of stewardship and guardianship that, that God is wanting to use. And then there were the prophets. Well, what did the, what did the prophets do? Well, the prophets heard, didn't they? The prophets heard from God. And the prophets spoke the words of God. And they spoke them to the people. And they spoke to the people about God's covenant faithfulness. Sometimes they were encouraging in their words. Sometimes they offered a rebuke. But if you read the prophets, what you find is often they were, they were passionate about three things. They were passionate about justice. They were passionate about integrity. And they were passionate about holiness. And if you have that prophetic gift, you'll find those same areas burn up inside of you. Then there were the evangelists who proclaimed the the good news to all that Jesus Christ, the one they'd crucified, was risen from the dead and is Lord of all. That's what the evangelists did. They kept telling people the good news. And if you have that ministry gift, that's what you just want to do. You can't stop. You can't stop yourself from telling people about Jesus. Then there were the pastors, or in the Greek, the better word is shepherds. They were the ones, if you like, who did a lot of the nitty-gritty. They were responsible for leading, maintaining, developing healthy community and enriching relationships in the life of the church. And often that was closely related to the, to the teachers who were there responsible for, for training and developing the disciples in, in wisdom and, and understanding. And, you know, God gives to, as we've done this series thinking about the fruit of the Spirit, and maybe next year we'll move into a series looking at the gifts of the Spirit. God gives each of these ministry gifts, often it's not just one, to each one of us here. Often we'll have it in some combination. Often what the church has done through the years is it's kind of overemphasized if you like, the the pastor and the shepherd and the teacher at the expense of the ape. 
at the expense of the apostolic or the prophetic or the evangelistic. But each one of us, whoever we are, have those ministry gifts that God just, by his spirit, wants to partner with us because he always wants the best for us. So, if we don't accept that invitation, then we just miss out on the best for our lives. The call of every church is to make disciples, to use these ministry gifts in that, in that process. And now when we move to the specifics of what that looks for us in this new year that we come along. You know, for me, I think it's one of, I think it's one of change and opportunity. Sometimes change happens to us, don't we? And it's, it kind of comes externally. And there's kind of like things that happen. Other times, it happens internally. Sometimes it just happens because God wants to change us. And so, I thought this morning of, of three particular changes. They aren't the only changes that will affect us over the next 12 months, but I thought of three this morning that is quite important. Now, often when we think about church, we think about it in terms of the people who we are sat next to. We think about it in terms of our congregation. I always look right across every congregation. So, so the three changes in some ways that I'm going to mention this morning, some we might think are more important to me than others. But if we don't hear them all, then often we don't understand what's important to other people in the church as well. And so let's talk about some of those changes. Here's, here's the first one. As we know, Peter left us to go to New Zealand um, last month. I hope he's enjoying the cricket more than us. But it does, look, it does look rather nice in New Zealand at the moment and very warm, basically. But, and Emily, as we know, will transition out of her paid role at some stage in the first half of, of next year as she qualifies to become a teacher. And so over the last month, I've been chatting with a number of you, of your, of your parents, about what does that future look like for, for, for children and, and youth work, for us as a church? Why does God want to make those changes now? And, and what's important? So we are looking to recruit, starting in February, or by February, for, for two part-time posts. What that will look like in terms of hours, we're still working on. But what that means in the interim is this. With Helen leaving us as well, we won't run kangaroos next term. I don't know if you remember when Bob Jackson came to this church in 2016. He talked about, are we as a church a magic roundabout church? Or are we a gospel train church? You see, this is what the magic roundabout church does. It's the start of the new year. And we just do everything that we've done before without ever questioning what's the role of the church? To make disciples. And sometimes we have to put down things to actually say, God might want something different. He might want the same, but he might want something different. But whatever he wants, it will be the best. 
But change brings opportunity for us in this church. It brings that opportunity to say, what is God calling me to do in these particular areas of church life? Here's change two. As we now all know, Helen will leave us in, in, in January. And so a few people asked me, what's going to happen then? And so what I did last month was I agreed with Bishop Trevor what the future might, might hold. And so for now, we're going to go down the idea of what we planned originally, because this is the only option on the table of this house for duty priest role that we had before. And so there are, there are challenges for us in this area. And you can see the detail on the back page of the handout as to what that means for us as a, as a church, that we have to fund it ourselves, that we've got to make sure we have the funding in place, that that priest, like in Helen's role, will operate across the whole church community. And it kind of comes down a bit to money, basically, which some of you like to do better than me, basically. And so just those are the things that are mentioned there. This is what it means in the interim. In the interim, what we'll do is certainly up till September, we'll keep everything as it is. We won't change the service times. We'll keep everything as they are up until September. But change brings opportunity. You know, when we think of those five-fold ministry gifts, change brings opportunity. And so I'm grateful that, that David has been able to, although be it in a limited capacity initially, has agreed to come back and be a lay reader. I'm grateful that Trudy's going to help us lead some of our 10 o'clock services, in particular from the new year. And of course, we have the, I was kind of thinking, I'm grateful for David, I'm grateful for Trudy. What can I say for Brian? You know, I, the only thing I can say about Brian is this, and I hope he doesn't get embarrassed by this. I hope when I reach whatever age he is, well, I hope I get there first of all, but I hope I like him. Because I see too many old men today who are just angry. I don't know if you do, but I do. And <laughs> here's change three. Basically, it brings change for us as a, as a parish church as Richard and Caroline step down from their roles as surveyor and, and almoner. You know, as a church, we should be full of thankfulness for their service and commitment to this church, particularly over the past 15 years, for Caroline in various roles, particularly as almoner, for Richard as, you know, I think you've done it for nearly most of the last 15 years, haven't you? That is a huge responsibility. Basically, change brings opportunity for these five-fold ministry gifts to be used in us, in the life of the church. You see, one of Richard's favorite Christian leaders is a guy called Craig Grishel. And he has, he has a saying. This saying may appear a little insensitive. So I'm going to try and qualify it a bit. He goes like this. He says, if you're not dead, you're not done. If you're not dead, you're, you're not done, basically. Now listen, none of us, some of us in this congregation 
are facing some of the toughest challenges in our life and we're not necessarily the oldest. None of us know how long we have left. Everyone kind of thinks they're indestructible. Nobody thinks about their own mortality and so on from there, or not that many people in my experience. And so I'm going to qualify that sentence. Some of us face debilitating illnesses that prevent us from serving. Some of us have very demanding jobs where the pace of change is huge. And we live in a world now that is changes far more rapidly and will continue to do so. So we have all those qualifications that we, that we put upon that. And as we get older, we should, we should slow down a bit. Of course we should. But let me finish with, with someone who I was reading about this week. He's called JC. And he follows JC. Since his teens, this particular JC has got up virtually every Sunday morning and he's kind of taught a Bible class in his church. This JC is known to many of us, if not all of us, because he held what is perceived as the most important office in the world in the late 70s and early 80s. What is less well known is that when Jimmy Carter held that office, every Sunday morning when he was in America, he turned up at his local church and still kept teaching that Bible class. Today, Jimmy Carter is 95. Not surprisingly, he slowed up a little. He still teaches that Bible study class on a Sunday morning, not every week, but every other week. In 2015, he was diagnosed with with melanoma. The diagnosis and the prognosis was not good. He had to have part of his liver removed. He had treatment on his brain, radiation and immunotherapy. And he still went and taught that weekly Bible class. You know, earlier this year, he had hip replacement surgery. Last month, he broke his pelvis in a fall, yet you know what he was doing two weeks later? He was teaching that Bible class in his church. The pastor of that church said this. He said, the greatest thing I have learned as a pastor here is watching JC follow JC. Jesus Christ is an inspiration. And the reality is, if we make ourselves available for him, irrespective of who we are, however many years we might think we have left, it will be the best choice we make. Because he only has the best for each one of us. Let's pray. King Jesus, who today continues to commission us to make disciples. Help us to grow to become like you through using the ministry gifts you have given us. Search our hearts to seek your will for how we can serve you in this church in 2020. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord of the church. Amen.